there are benefits of it all. There will always be ways that it is worse. But one thing is true, none of it exists without the collector. Without the collector, there is no investing. Lacusta, aka the Golf Card Collector. Today we're going to be kicking off a new series, which is investors versus collectors in the sports card hobby. And I was initially framing this in my mind as being a bit of a debate. I wanted to get an investor and a collector and give them a very concise prompt and have them with their respective approach to the hobby. Now, I put some feelers out there to a handful of people I'm close with in the community, and I got some interesting responses back and some cool clips that I'm going to be sharing in this episode. And I've decided, rather than having a 1v1 debate, I'm going to treat this as um, I'm providing a debate prompt So you will notice that it is taking a very firm stance, as uh, my friend Jason likes to say, a binary position. And we'll see if people naturally gravitate towards a firm stance, as they would normally have to uh, defend in a debate, or if there's maybe some middle ground where everybody um, has some agreement on the subject. So the first person to pipe in was actually Jason, whose Instagram is Ginter Gold Fever. And he sent me just a very short audio clip, and uh, I chopped it down to a single sentence that I played at the beginning of the episode. And I will play his clips in, in the subsequent parts of this series, but one thing I really noticed about Jason is that he really sits on both sides of the fence and believes that there's benefits there's drawbacks to having both collector and investor mindsets and participation in the hobby. So he'll just be our grounding voice as we approach these different topics. Without further ado, the topic today is how has the rise of the investor mindset influenced the culture of the hobby and is it for the better or for the worse for sports card collecting? We are going to get the show started with a sports card investor. That's Paul Hickey, my friend of NoOffSeason.com and the Sports Card Strategy Show. In fact, I've collaborated with Paul in the past on the Golf Card Strategy Show, so I have a first-hand taste of his tendencies towards investing versus collecting. So let's see what Paul has to say. Look, anytime there's change, the old guard hates the change. The new guard doesn't understand why it's such a big deal because they're new. I think what you're talking about in terms of the investor mindset influencing the culture of the hobby is sort of a fancy way for saying the hobby was one way. A bunch of new people joined the hobby. Now maybe it's a different way. To me, I don't even really know what the hobby used to be like before I got into it. I was just a kid that collected cards in the 80s and early 90s, took a 30-year hiatus, 
and then got back in because I love sports and found an interest in sports cards due to the fact that there is such a market for it. So I'm fascinated by the sports card market. I'm fascinated by the fact that you can have a card graded. And once that card is graded, there is a set market value based on sales comps for that card. And that card can go up and or down based on the player performance of an active athlete. And it can go up or down based on other factors that I don't fully understand for a retired athlete. So it's a hard question for me to answer, but I believe that you're always going to have the old guard and the purists say that the hobby isn't what it used to be and that that's a bad thing. And you're going to have open-minded people who maybe are newer to the hobby or maybe have been around the hobby for a long time and they're just more open-minded who embrace the change. But the reality is that in anything in life, people don't like change for the most part, unless it really benefits them or unless they're, they understand the change at a level that they can relate to. And so I think that a lot of people that have been in the hobby for a long time don't understand the influx of new people in the hobby. And so they push back on it and there's backlash. Now you can blame an investor mindset for this, but I would pose the question back to you and everyone listening, who doesn't want things to go up in value that they own? When you own something, why would you want it to go down in value? And why would you want to buy something that you know is going to go down in value? So I don't care whether you're an investor, a flipper, a collector. The reality is we all want all of our stuff to go up in value. We don't want to buy a car that depreciates. We don't want to be, buy a home that depreciates. We don't want to buy anything that depreciates. Why should sports cards be any different? And why should someone out there tell me that I can't do something unless I don't care about the value of it? I think that's just not, not realistic. So it's a hard question to answer. And especially when I don't really understand the culture of the hobby, I think that everything should be accepted in the hobby, period. I think that we should all embrace everyone's goals. If your goal is to acquire cards and never sell them, more power to you. If your goal is to acquire cards and sell them for less than what you bought them for because it makes you feel like a good human being, more power to you. If your goal is to acquire cards and then sell them for more than what you bought them for, great, good for you. If you just love the transaction and the interaction with the hobby as you're transacting and you don't care about holding any of the cards, good for you. So to this I say, the hobby is better. The hobby is better because there's been an influx of new thinkers, new innovators, new people who care. And that makes anything better. That makes any hobby better. And that makes our hobby better. To those of you who are scared of change, there's nothing I can do for you. The world is constantly changing. Our hobby is constantly changing. To be quite honest, I love change. I embrace change. I ride the wave of change. So to this, I say our hobby is much better. And it will continue to only get better. Buckle up, baby. You always 
kind of opened my eyes to a way of thinking that I didn't have before. So you're absolutely right. I've been collecting cards all of my life. And you, as a guy who collected as a kid in the late 80s and the 90s, you're coming to this with a fresh perspective. And maybe I am the old guard who is a bit afraid of change. Um, You know, I like your fascination by the market as opposed to the cards themselves. Um, I've truly never been fascinated by the market itself. Um, it's the the artwork, the nostalgia, the history, the, these sorts of things that I, I love about the physical uh, cardboard. And, you know, my, my goal isn't transactional in nature. You're absolutely right. We can each respect others' goals in the hobby, whether that's, as you said, being a good person by selling a card uh, for a lower price than they bought it or making money by selling it higher than they bought it or connecting through those transactions or acquiring cards. But you gotta, you got to realize the theme that you just wove through all of those goals that a person can have in the hobby were all transactional in nature. And collectors, the essence of collecting isn't that transaction. It's not getting the card it's not buying the card it's not selling the card it's fondling the card and that's why the name of this podcast is fondling cardboard my goal is just to enjoy the artwork to be a custodian of this artifact of history this artifact of sport so when it comes to the investor mindset changing the culture of the hobby it's the exact basis that you just argued that all people talk about these days is buying and selling and transactions and it can just get frustrating because as a collector we we do have to buy cards and we occasionally some of us have to sell cards but that's not the point of this participation in the hobby it's almost like a burden of the hobby and when we want to buy cards it's it's the hype that causes cards to become more expensive and i'm not gravitating towards cards that are all hyped up just because of the hype i'm gravitating towards cards that i want and if they accidentally get hyped up then i become a casualty so anyways paul there's my little rant in response. I know you don't have a chance to respond back to me live as in a proper debate, but uh, I know we're friends, so I look forward to carrying this conversation on. And this is, I guess, your open invitation for a live interview on the Funneling Cardboard podcast. But uh, without further ado, we got to get on to our next participant. And this, this is somebody who is not an investor. Uh, this is somebody who will have the counter view of what Paul just shared. And this is James Peacock. Now James is a friend of mine through the Golf Cards and Memorabilia Facebook group and in the golf card community at large. And uh, I'm not going to spoil, I guess, what James talks about, so I'll kick it to him now. How has the rise of the investor mindset influenced the culture of the hobby? And is it for the better or the worse for sports card collecting? My first gut reaction to this question was that it's pretty much all bad. There's nothing good out of it. And 
it should it should be a hundred percent about pure hobby collecting and enjoyment and people there's no place for the investor mindset um but the more that i thought about it i do think there are some pros and cons and it's unavoidable so that kind of thinking is a little bit black and white and irrational so thinking a little bit about the pros and cons let's let's go through them and and talk about them and there's just a couple for each so I think the biggest pro right out of the gate is, you know, the more people in the hobby, the better. Um, I will say that means, you know, I think that means the fact that we're going to get more releases. We might get more cards. If 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 Upper Deck and, and people who produce cards can see that people are interested in buying them, I think that bodes well for the hobby. Uh, I would rather that than it be severely underperforming and we have to wait another decade for cards to come out, right? So I think the more people in the hobby, whether their intentions are purely for the fun or not is 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 irrelevant in terms of exposure is good i think the sales are good and it, it helps for the future growth of the game of the of the hobby i was at the game <laughs> of the hobby uh so another thing that i think it's positive is the more people that are involved and sort of during the hype and sort of in the investor mindset of 2021 is that it's a lot easier to liquidate cards as well um so in theory, though, you kind of need these people to be really interested outside of the big players of the game. But, you know, even of the big players, you can get big premium prices and you can find some quote unquote big hits and sell them if you, you know, cashed out at the right time and played that game. Again, I don't really stress about that or worry about that. But if, if people do want to play that game or they just want to get rid of some of their collection to buy some more items for their collection, um... It helps that more people are there and more people are, are there to scoop up some of those deals uh, or perceived deals and you can sell items. So, you know, the more people, the better for the growth and then just the ability to liquidate items. Um, and then another pro of that is I think I got so many really good deals during that time of 2021, 2022, and even this year, but it's dying down a little bit of people just that weren't even interested in golf cards. Again, I, I've, I bought collections from two or three people that opened like a case and maybe they took out a couple of the hits and I was able to buy everything else at pennies on the dollar. All the patch cards, all the base cards, all the inserts, just because they don't, they don't care about them. And I was able to complete my sets, get duplicates. So when I go to grade, I'll have some options to grade. So all of that stuff where I didn't have to buy a bunch of, you know, sealed boxes at a, at five hundred to a thousand dollars a box, which the prices were crazy but when when the products came out. So I think it was kind of cool that people were ripping them on my you know on, on my behalf. They were losing all their money because they were trying to gamble and then I got to scoop up and buy all the base and the inserts and the stuff they didn't care about. So that was a positive. I, I consider that a pro. Um and again, because there are people are out there opening these boxes and chasing these big hits and then going after those achievement cards and all of that stuff, um, I was able to, you know, get items from my personal collection. Maybe it was a key insert or maybe a key rookie auto that I thought was cool that I didn't, you know, happen to, you know, pull myself, but I was able to get it for, you know, five, ten, fifteen dollars, um, where they had to spend five hundred dollars to a thousand dollars on that box. So I think that was cool and that was that was a positive. Um, overall, some of the cons though, I think we touched on them and the other problems, but the biggest ones are just, I hate the fact when prices are artificially raised, you know, seeing those boxes of upper deck go from $20 to $200 in the span of a year, like that should just, 
that shouldn't happen, right? That's like, obviously, maybe we won't see that for a long time. And it's important for everyone in the hobby to kind of keep their eyes on prices so they, they kind of know what they're getting themselves into. Um, but I, I would hate for someone that is, they find out about golf collecting for the first time. Imagine it's 2021, like, ooh, there's golf cards. I didn't know about that. And they go to buy them and they see all the new releases are like $1,000 a box. The old 2001, where you don't even get autos or patches very often, are two to $300 a box. Most of the you know cards in there, unless you're a really hardcore golf fan, you're not going to know the, the golfers. Um, so, you know, I think it leaves a bad taste in the mouth of new collectors if the prices are artificially priced. You know, if if the hobby box is anywhere from you know twenty bucks to eighty bucks, maybe a hundred, that's fair. I think that's okay. Um, and you know, hopefully the two thousand twenty four set that's a little bit more toned down for. The average collector with the blasters and the hobby boxes i hope that is more similar to that where the prices stay low at like 80 bucks to 100 bucks the hits are few and far between but people can finish sets and they can go after those chase cards and we can all look at each other's hits in the groups and we can trade and and all that fun stuff so i'm looking forward to that but i don't want people to just you know come to the hobby opening those cases thinking that they're gonna clean house because they're not going to there's not even a lot of you know expensive stuff in there um but there's a lot of really cool stuff for us that love the game and love these players um we're looking forward to those sets so to summarize i think the biggest you know the biggest cons are just the fact that the the prices are artificial and it makes it really difficult to find people to engage with in the hobby to trade to get to know to make friendships to again help each other with our goals if if you go to reach out to people and like yeah i don't even i don't even collect i just opened a few boxes um, so that's that's a little frustrating. With uh, in the investor mindset on this this topic, uh, or or more, I guess, coming up with pros for having in the investors and investor mindset coming into the hobby in recent years. Um, he did have great points, though. So James, you might even be swaying me. Uh, having more people, uh, the better. I totally agree. Just in general, uh, there's more product releases, uh, more people to, to interact with in lots of different ways. Uh, helps grow the hobby. Uh, easy to liquidate our cards. Um, the hit chasers not really caring about lower end uh, inserts, base cards, that, that sort of thing, and making them available readily for those of us who want to complete sets. Awesome points. Uh, as for the cons, uh, artificially raising the prices. Um, yeah. I totally agree. The, the hype for 2021 Upper Deck Artifacts Golf in 2021 was ludicrous. $1,000 a box. Now they're selling for $200 a box. I think that investors would tell you that's just the market speaking, but it's not. It is a speculative bubble. It is overhype for no reason. It's not hype generated by actual collectors. It's just, as you said, unsuspecting newcomers coming in, getting ripped off. I experienced that myself around 2021. Uh, and, and those prices were not, not right. So, you know, flippers, uh, not really caring about the cards causing prices to go up. Yeah. The, these are definitely problems. And, and, and you and I, and the rest of them, Paul included, are going to discuss that particular issue as well as others in some upcoming episodes in this collector versus investor series. So I really look forward to that. Um, James, the last thing I'll say is it, it does really seem like your mindset is stuck in the 2021 timeframe. Um, and that is a totally different world than it is now. I don't think we're going to be experiencing, uh, the same kind of, 
uh, overpriced new product, uh, crazy inflation from our local card shops or direct from manufacturer. Um, and you did refer to that with the 2024 release of our Verdac Golf, which is going to be a more flagship, less premium type of product. So, um, you know, you and I are both just, I guess, arguing that the investor mindset is welcome in the hobby by collectors. So, hey, uh, I'm open to having my mind changed. But uh, let's throw it to our last contributor, and that is Dan from Leave the Pin Podcast, a golf podcast that I personally listen to. Dan is very well-spoken and is also a true collector uh, in the hobby. Uh, Funny enough, Dan was primarily just a baseball card collector, uh, completing sets, uh, I assume organizing them in binders or whatever, the way we all love to do as kids and some of us continue to do as adults. Um, And through Dan and I's connection through Instagram, uh, he started collecting golf cards uh, through, I believe, my inspiration. So, uh, Dan, I appreciate you, and let's see what you have to say. The investor mindset is nothing I can really ever get into. Um, I guess some of these cards are considered investments, but take golf, for example. The 2024 upper deck set is going to have some hot rookies in it. Now, those are speculative rookies. They might be rookie cards of guys that have won a few times. But are those guys ever going to approach a Tiger Woods career, a Jordan Spieth, a Justin Thomas career, a John Rahm career? I mean, hell, a Matt Kuchar career. Probably not. But their prices are going to be so high because of that speculation and the hype surrounding it. I picked up a Matt Kuchar auto from Upper Deck Signatures for $1.15 with free shipping. Astronomical. Some of those cards next year, autos of rookies, are going to go for $50 to $75. And they're people that will never even approach a tenth of a guy like Kuchar, you know, a tenth of their career. And, and, and Kuchar, by no means, is a phenomenal standout star. I mean, if you remember back in the day, Kuchar burst onto the scene because as an amateur at Georgia Tech, he played real well in the Masters. It was low am, I believe. And that's where everything kind of started with him because he got a great personality. He's always smiling and stuff like that. You know, forget about the fact that he would always stiff caddies and whatnot. But, you know, his public persona made his cards, quote unquote, more valuable, made his aura, his persona in the public more valuable. We speculate so much in this card industry as a hobby that we think person X is going to be the next hot thing. Um, And if enough people say he's going to be or she's going to be, you know, people are going to end up paying for that. Rookies, which is basically what Paul Hickey and sports card investors alike uh, like to use as a a vehicle of making money, um, it affects collectors and somebody at the end of the day is going to be holding a bag. Um, prices are going to be too high because of hype. And that hype is fine if it's generated by sports fans and collectors. But when it's driven by this mass of investors, uh, I call that artificial hype. Because nobody actually wants those cards. 
uh, or at least to the value that they're being transacted at. And that is the speculative bubble that I'm talking about. As, as Dan said, none of these new rookies are, are, are likely to reach one-tenth of a career of Matt Kuchar. And who today is talking about Matt Kuchar? Not many, and his prices reflect that. You can get great deals on Matt Kuchar cards. I personally collect them just as Dan does. But these rookies who have a little bit of spotlight are being pumped to the moon. And I'm not accusing Paul or any other investor of quote-unquote pump and dumping because that means or that refers to using your influence to artificially pump up the price of a card and then dumping it before it it plummets. And and we saw this in like, well, we saw it in cards. I'm not going to start naming names though, so I'll, I'll pull from a different industry. We saw this a lot in crypto. So like Logan Paul, for example, would get lassoed into some crypto project and he would pump it up to the millions of viewers on his podcast before selling all of his investment and making a bunch of money and then the crypto stock would just drop so that is not at all the concept that i'm talking about when i say that investors are pumping up the value i'm saying that they are chasing after prospects who should or they believe should go up in value when they get called up when they perform well and i believe that this this intent, the intent of chasing somebody because of their potential value going up, has an influence on the card prices over, you know, several different time frames before, during, and immediately after the call up or the good performance. And if you feel like playing the market, I don't know. I, I consider it like day trading, swing trading, and it just isn't. It isn't helpful for those of us who just want the cards for themselves. Maybe I'm wrong. But there was a lot of really good commentary from myself, James, and Paul um, that was pro-investor. And I really didn't expect, expect that from this episode. I didn't expect myself to be swayed. But I think maybe there's some room in this hobby for both collectors, investors, and those who sit on the fence, like Jason from Gold Fever. And I really look forward to the rest of this series. So next episode is going to be on a topic that was inspired by some of the discussion today. And that is the rise in popularity of, quote, investing or flipping sports cards solely drives speculative behavior and artificially inflates card prices. Validate the statement or change my mind. And we're going to be hearing from the same contributors we heard from today. And I can't wait to see you guys then. During this series, I'm not going to get too deep into the collector's corner, watch list, additional quote, that kind of stuff. Continue on with the tradition of card of the week. And so this week, it is the... 2013 to 2014 Panini Prism Hockey Shane Doan Gold Prism. And I am ecstatic to have this card in my possession. I bought this within the last month. 
I saw this on eBay for a ridiculous price. And I contacted the buyer. I made a few offers, all of which were rejected. And we got pretty close. Within about $20, I just knew that my, my offer, uh, even though I was getting closer to, the, uh, to, to where he was willing to sell at, was still much higher than the card is worth. And when I say the card is worth, I mean, nobody else in the right mind would be paying that price. Uh, and, and I knew this talking to my friend, Cardboard Richard, who is a huge hockey guy. So um, I did what you're not supposed to do on eBay. I sent the seller a picture, a screenshot, uh, with some writing that I had digitally uh, imposed onto the picture saying, uh, hey, I'm, a, I'm at the golf card collector on Instagram. And just if you want to make a deal, basically. So I'm offering to take this transaction offline so that that final $20 uh, could be, you know, maybe he'd be willing to sell it uh, for that lower price without eBay fees, which is 10 to 13%, something like that, uh, depending on if you have an eBay store or whatever kind of account you have with eBay. So I didn't hear back. But then about two or three weeks later, after sending that message, I finally uh, got a DM on Instagram. And it was a guy saying, hey, uh, I've got the gold Shane Doan. If you're still interested, um, I could do it for the offer you made without the transaction fees. So I really appreciate uh, the sale. Um, The card, when it arrived, uh, I was not really sure if I'm going to be grading these cards because they are serial numbered out of 10 gold prisms uh, for those of you who don't know are like the the epitome of a, a collector's cornerstone of a player so if you are a player collector you got to get their gold prism for hockey it is quite tricky because there was only one year from my understanding of prism hockey because uh, upper deck obviously has the rights for hockey cards so this is a very rare card for hockey collectors so uh, being a rare card i wasn't sure if i wanted to grade it um, most of my hockey collection is not in slabs and most of it's raw kept in top loaders and magnetic one touches when i pulled it out of the sleeve i was a little bit disappointed the card looks like it's been juggled around by uh you know a, a noob uh, who just pulled out of a pack, threw it into a shoebox, whatever. Like at least the corners, the edges, everything is 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 great. It's actually quite well centered. So the card itself is it looks good when you hold it in your hand, but when you pull it out of the penny sleeve, there's all these scratches and scuff marks. And um, it's actually honestly to the point where if I had bought it on eBay and it was a card I didn't care about as much as I do care about this particular one, I would consider sending it back and asking for a refund and the purpose uh, or the, the justification I would give to eBay is that the card was damaged and, and not as listed. So um, that that was a little bit of a damper, but it it, it actually, at the end of the day, it, it kept me from grading this card and I actually want the card ungraded anyways. I, I want it to be in at one touch, just like the rest of my Shane Doan cards. And I purchased the Select Gold, which is the same year. Uh, Select is a similar uh, brand from Panini as Prism. And so now I have the Shane, Gold, Shane Doan Gold Prism and the Shane Doan Gold Select, both numbered out of 10. Uh, I'm really grateful to be able to pair these together. Earlier in the episode, I talked about 
um, being a, a custodian of artwork and historical artifacts. Now, I don't know if Shane Doan is going to go down in the history books as, you know, a hockey player that people talk about 100 years from now. But when it comes to the Arizona Coyotes or the Phoenix Coyotes franchise, Shane Doan is, he's the man. And being a Canadian, I have that much more connection and appreciation for him. Um, so to be the custodian of two, his only two uh, iconic Panini gold parallel cards, um, it, it just, it's an awesome card for me. So I rambled on a little bit longer than I expected. Uh, but for those of you who aren't too familiar with gold prisms, they are the shiniest of the shiny, the goldest of the gold, uh, simplified pictures, great artwork, wonderful framing, uh, wonderful design by Panini. Probably the best thing that Panini has contributed to the hobby is the gold prism parallel. And it's consistent year over year, always numbered out of 10, always a very similar style of border. Um, the the similarity that I can think of is by Upper Deck, the gold seismic, which has been consistent through all of OPG Platinum's releases since it was first released. I think that was about 2014. Uh, funny enough, actually, that kind of lines up with the gold prism because the gold prism was 2013-14. And then starting in 20, 2014, thereafter, you get the OPG Platinum. So they pick up where Prism left off. Thanks for making it all the way through this episode. What I would really appreciate from you is if you could leave a rating or review on the podcast player that you're listening on, whether that's Apple, iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, whatever. Just leave a rating and leave a comment and it will mean a lot to me because it gets the show in front of others, hopefully like you, who will enjoy the show. So thanks again.